Spirit would have uh, complete control in this service this morning, Lord. God, that you would prepare our hearts to hear um, to hear your word. And Lord God, we just want to worship you and see Jesus glorified. In your precious name we pray, amen. Amen. Well, thank you all for coming. And uh, it's always a joy to be gathered together and, and worship the Lord. So let's do that with all our hearts this morning.
Yes, Father, we come to you, Lord, and God, I just acknowledge that, Lord, without you, I really am empty-handed, Lord, but alive in your hands. I thank you for that, Lord. I thank you that you give life, that you give us love and hope, Lord. Without you, uh, we are nothing, Lord Jesus, and we're here to just worship you. Amen. Well, I'd like to open it up this morning if you have anything to share at any time, or um, uh, I think you all know that by now. I say that every time, but... Um, this isn't just uh, a time of singing, it's also a time of sharing and, and fellowshipping as the body of Christ. So I just want to open it up for that.
can be seated. Is Jesus all you want this morning? Um, I know it's a question I've been asking myself over the past few months. And uh, it's so easy to become obsessed with something. Most of us are obsessed with something. And um, the Lord's just been challenging me. Is my obsession with, with knowing him, with Jesus, the person of Jesus Christ? I love that song. It's just a prayer, the prayer of my heart for the Lord to uh, draw me close to him.
my soul, my Savior God to Thee. How great Thou art, how great Thou art. Then sings my soul, my Savior God to Thee. How great Thou art, how great Thou art. I don't know about you, but I'm looking forward to that day when Christ shall come with shouts of acclamation and take me home. What joy shall fill my heart. Uh, it's such a joy to know that this world is not our home, you know. And on the other hand, I do, uh, I do think it's important that we don't just have this attitude of, oh, I can't wait till God comes and takes me out of this miserable place. We're called to be joyful always, right? So we need to be thankful and, and praise the Lord um, while we're here. But we can live with that anticipation. Steve, why don't you come up? Uh, Steve has got a song he'd like to share with us this morning. And... Uh, I just really appreciate this brother and his joy, the joy of the Lord that I see in him, and uh, I'm always blessed. So, and Steve's going to sing the song. It's not a very long song, but then uh, we'll all—I'll have the congregation all join in together, and we'll sing the chorus one last time after he's done. Before testing. Uh, before I sing the song, I'd like to uh, read from Mark chapter 1, uh, 40 through 44. And there came a leper to him, beseech him, kneeling down to him, and saying unto him, If thou wilt, thou canst make me clean. And Jesus moved with compassion, put forth his hand, and touched him, and said unto him, I will be thou clean. And as soon as he had spoken, immediately the leprosy departed from him, and he was cleansed. And he straightly charged him, and forthright sent him away, and said unto him, See thou say nothing to any man, but go thy way, show thyself to the priest, and offer to thy cleansing to those which Moses commanded for testimony unto them. Shackled by a heavy burden Neath a load of guilt and shame Then the hand of Jesus touched me And now I am no longer the same He touched me me and all the joy that floods my soul something happened and now I know he touched me and made me whole since I met this and made me whole 
cease to praise Him. I'll shout it while eternity rolls. He touched me. Oh, He touched me. And all the joy that floods my soul. Something happened, and now I know He touched me and made me whole. He touched me, oh, He touched me, and all the joy that floods my soul. Something happened, and now I know He touched me and made me whole. Has He touched you? Amen. Thank you, Steve. All right, let's all stand up and sing uh, one more song together.
seated and at this time we'll have some children's songs so kids come on up all right do you know um, I've got the joy 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 down in my heart all right. Okay, so uh, the first off, we're going to have the kids sing, I've got the joy, joy, joy. And then you all respond with where? And then they will repeat the question, and then we'll reverse it. Lexi had it that first time, man. Good job, Lexi. <laughs> Shout it out. All right. Okay, do you know the song, My God is So Big, So Strong and So Mighty? Do you know the actions to it? All right. My God is so big, so strong and so mighty, there's nothing my God cannot do. My God is so big, so strong and so mighty, there's nothing my God cannot do. 
The mountains are his, the rivers are his, the stars are his handiwork too. My God is so big, so strong and so mighty, there's nothing my God cannot do. One more time. My God is so big, so strong and so mighty, there's nothing my God cannot do. My God is so big, so strong and so mighty, there's nothing my God cannot do. The mountains are His, the rivers are His, the stars are His handiwork too. My God is so big, so strong and so mighty, there's nothing my God cannot do. Do you have a song you want to sing? You want to do Cast Your Burdens? All right. So uh, let's all stand up and, and let's sing together, shall we? Cast Your Burden. You all want to come up and stand up here a little bit further? You don't need to be shy. We're all together. All right. There you go. Okay. Are you ready? Cast your burdens onto Jesus. For he cares for you. Cast your burdens onto Jesus. For he cares for you. Higher, higher, lift up Jesus. Higher, 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 lift up Jesus. Higher, 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 lift up Jesus. Higher, 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 lift up Jesus. Higher, higher. Lower, 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 Satan, lower, 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 cast your burdens onto Jesus, for he cares for you. Cast your burdens onto Jesus. For he cares for you. Higher, higher, lift up Jesus. Higher, 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 lower, 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 Satan, lower, 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 Satan, lower, 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 lower. Satan lower, 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 Satan lower, lower, higher, higher, lift up Jesus, higher, 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 lift up Jesus, higher, 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 lift up Jesus, higher, 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 lift up Jesus, higher, higher. Whoo, good job. All right, you can be seated. Okay, you want to do one more song? King of the Jungle? All right. All right, boys, you got this? You're going to go, ooh, ooh. Whaley, whaley, whaley. Yeah, that's right. All right. Who's the king of the jungle? Who's the king of the sea? Who's the king of the universe? And who's the king of me? I tell you, J-S-U-S, yes. He's the king of me. He's the king of the universe, the jungle and the sea. 
Who's the king of the jungle? Who's the king of the sea? Who's the king of the universe? And who's the king of me? I tell you, J-S-U-S. Yes, he's the king of me. He's the king of the universe. Jungle and the sea. Whaley, whaley, whaley. Ooh, ooh, there you go. All right. Good job. You can be seated. looks like after a couple weeks and uh, I don't know why they asked but being uh, I used to be a firefighter and whatnot and for a little bit of time and and I had that experience and somehow he knew about it and he asked me and so I was telling him and it's pretty gross but um, it got me thinking are we dead to sin Um, and Romans 6 says um, Verse 1 and 2, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer? Uh, my phone just... How shall we live any longer therein? And also, uh, so that's one way to look at it. Are you? Is it that gross? Are you dead in sin? Is it that gross to you that sin is just disgusting and it makes you want to vomit. Um, and the other spectrum of that is when you are when you die, you go somewhere. Um, so the song this morning we were singing. Um, when Christ shall come with shout of acclamation and take me home, what joy shall fill my heart? And uh, Psalm eighty-four verse ten: For a day in thy courts is better than a thousand. I had rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than to dwell in the tents of wickedness. It's amazing the contrast uh, of what sin can bring you is disgusting and makes you want to vomit versus being dead to sin will give you life with Christ in a place you want to live and you'll never want to leave. So anyways, that's just something that God's been, the last few weeks, been... uh, revealing to me in new ways, and just as I look deeper into that, uh, how amazing he is and how much better it is to live a life that is dead to sin. And uh, anyways, moving on, I just uh, want to thank you all for coming out. I want to thank Judah. He's here visiting to give us a word from the Lord today, and I just pray that uh, the words coming out of his mouth would be the ones from God. And what we would, uh, what we need to hear from him today, and um, he's from WCF, just a few miles down the road, and so we're really glad you're here. Thanks for coming out, and um, if you want to come up, I'll just give, say a prayer for you. And...
Lord, I just thank you for my brother. I just pray that you will bless him today and that you will speak your words of life and truth through him and that uh, your name would be honored and glorified through his, uh, his word for, from you today, Lord. Thank you for your many blessings on us. In Jesus' name, amen. Everybody here, but I think most of you, for those of you who might not know me, uh, as was said, I am. Uh, we do live over in Windsor. We're a part of uh, what's called Windsor Christian Fellowship now. It used to be called the Church at Ellerslie. Um, we've been a part of the ministry, Eric and Leslie Ludy's ministry, for uh, quite a few years. Oh, I don't know, about eight, a little over eight years now or so, um, and uh, involved in the church there quite a bit. Before we came out here, I grew up on the mission field in Mongolia, um, and I told a little bit of my story, I think, the first time that I preached here, uh, but my parents um, shared here, I don't know how many of you were here for that, but they uh, shared, or my dad shared a bit uh, about uh, their ministry over there as well. Uh, so just to connect the dots there a little bit, but um, we're going to be in uh, Romans chapter 5, and uh, as when Phil asked me to come and speak, uh, a few, at actually was... Uh, Back beginning of December, and we kind of shifted the dates around here and there. Our family actually ended up getting COVID, and when you have a bunch of kids, it kind of takes a while to, <laughs> for it to move through. Uh, and uh, so, but we're feeling great now, and all healed up from that, and uh, uh, just good to be here with you finally. So, in Romans chapter five, the 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 really the thing that was on my heart is right now in the world, um, and it's always been this way, right? You, you hear people talk about the good old days, and uh, there's really no such thing as the good old days. It's always been bad, uh, going all the way back to the beginning of the church and the early church, and you see where Christians immediately were began, began to be persecuted, and, and very soon after uh, the church started to grow, horrific and terrible things were happening to Christians, much worse than we have it here uh, in our country, and even those who are uh, heavily persecuted and killed for their faith around the world uh, are still experiencing the same things that uh, Christians have been experiencing since the beginning. Um, and so there's no really such thing as the, as the good old days, so to speak. But in our country, there have been uh, probably better times than there are now uh, in many ways. And we're going in a direction uh, and a cycle that many countries have gone in the past. Uh, and we can get discouraged by that, right? We can feel like we're losing our Christian heritage and roots that were established by our forefathers and our parents and the churches uh, and pastors and revivals that came before us and uh, that we're proud of that, that heritage. And yet uh, there's an erosion that's been going on for a long time, but we're hitting uh, a lot of tipping points in that as well. And so in that, our souls can feel, I don't know about you, but our souls can feel heavy hearted. We can feel thirsty and hungry for the truth of God's word and um, and that's a good thing. It's good when you remember the psalmist when he says, I hunger and I thirst for you, right? And as a deer pants for the water, as a deer's, you know, running around thirsty looking for fresh water to drink, um, that's how our soul should be for the Lord. And in times where uh, things are getting darker, it drives us to that. And so what God really laid on my heart is what, what's some gospel truths? Where's some areas? You could go all, the, all over the place in Scripture. But where are some gospel truths that could be refreshing for us this morning? And what he laid on my heart was Romans chapter 5. And we're going to 
focus on verses 1 through 5, but we're going to read 1 through 11. Um, So again, as we meditate on these gospel truths, I just titled this Gospel Truths for Thirsty Souls. Uh, As our souls are thirsty, God's word will will nourish uh, our souls. So let's read. Uh, Verse 1, chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance. And endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, whom he has given to us. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by his life. More than that, We also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. So there's a lot of truth that we could focus on. There's a lot of rich truth that we could dive into particular things. Like, for example, justification. We could spend uh, our lifetime (laughs) looking at what justification means and the depth of what that means, or something like reconciliation uh, or grace Uh, These are huge words, huge concepts, and even hope. But um, what I want us to really capture in in the first five verses in particular is uh, is a couple points that primarily center around this idea of hope and how what we have in justification causes us to have hope. And so as times get darker, our hope should actually increase and we should feel more hopeful than ever as time gets darker. And what you see here is, as leading up to chapter 5, if you were to look back in uh, Romans for the first four chapters, you see this progression where God, uh, through Paul, the Holy Spirit through Paul, is laying out how God is going to accomplish reconciliation. God is going to accomplish salvation through faith, right? Not by the law, not by man trying to be good, even Gentiles without the law, they're also condemned because their own heart and conscience condemns them for the sin that they do. So whether you were Jew or Gentile, both are unrighteous, both have sinned, both are under the law, both are under the wrath of God, both will experience judgment. That's the the, uh, argument that he lays out for us, that God's wrath will come on the unrighteous and that all are unrighteous, no one is good. And he begins to make the argument then, especially for the Jew, uh, but for everybody, that uh, because even the Gentile believes that by their good works, and and even then, you know, for the last uh, four to five hundred years before Paul was writing, you had the Greek philosophers and the Stoics who were 
essentially seeking in a human effort, in a humanitarian effort to better themselves in society uh, through good behavior and good disciplines. And so whether you are Jew or Greek, uh, he destroys that and says that only salvation comes through faith and that Abraham was saved because of faith, that he was justified because of faith. Uh, And so he brings us then through this whole progression of the rebellion, as you see in chapter 1 and chapter 2, and how the rebellion is cyclical, leading to more and more evil and more more destructive mindsets and actions that men and women would fall into. So you see the rebellion and the fall and sin, and that led to alienation from God and a deterioration of mankind, which ultimately led and leads to death. Uh, and then you also see the promise and grace and how God pursues man and how he calls for faith and repentance and us to pursue him. And then in chapter 5, it begins to tell us, okay, if this is the case and we are justified by faith, since therefore we have been justified by faith, we now have peace with God. The alienation from God is dealt with, the deterioration, the death is dealt with, and we have peace through Jesus, peace with God through Jesus, and we have hope as we continue to read in the next few verses, and we have new life uh, in him. And so that's kind of the overview up to this point, and then what he transitions into. So Paul begins this section in chapter 5, verse 1. He shows a transition from when he says since then, or therefore, is a transition word, and he shows this shift that of emphasis on what was faith. So in the beginning, he proved how because of sin, salvation was needed, and the only way salvation can happen is through faith. That's really the first four chapters. And you see 33 occurrences, okay, from chapter one to chapter five here, the end of chapter four, faith is mentioned 33 times. Versus only three times, Eight, he really focuses on life or eternal life or new life, which is mentioned 24 times in chapters five through eight and only two times in the previous four chapters. So he's emphasizing faith and how justification comes through that and then what follows that is new life. Is a life that's filled with the Holy Spirit, a life as, as was read earlier, right? A life that's filled with the putting to death of the flesh and of sin and living in the new life that is in Christ. And so the emphasis from faith to what faith produces is kind of the change that's happening here in the beginning of chapter 5 and the whole theme that's carried out in the next few chapters. So here in chapter 5, verse 1, we begin this section where Paul's letter to the Romans is now outlining the experiential results of the believer's justification by faith. So up to this point, he's making the argument that blessings and righteousness and justification and reconciliation with God can only be accessed by faith. It cannot be gained by man's effort to be good. It cannot be gained by keeping the law and doing the works of the law for all have sinned and fall short of glory of God. It can only be gained by faith in the person and work of Christ. And as we see in this initial section in verses 1 through 11, It's sort of a summation of really what Paul is going to teach us from chapter 5 to chapter 8. So chapter 5 to chapter 8 is really summarized in verses 1 through 11 here, which is a really amazing thing that we see him summarize this new life 
in Christ and what that is going to mean ultimately. And I would encourage you guys even later today, if you have some time, read through chapter 5 through chapter 8 and look at how the first 11 verses of chapter 5 really is laying out in a shorter version what he's really diving into in the next few chapters. So if we look at our passage in verses 1 and 2, he gives this kind of gospel overview, right? He says, since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God through him. Through him, we also have obtained access by faith in which we stand and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. It's really a summation of some really big gospel truths. Number one, justification, right? It's kind of the beginning uh, of the process or part of the beginning of the process. And then we see the end, which is the glory of God, uh, the hope of the glory of God, which is glorification. And then you see sanctification in the middle, right? This grace in which we stand, which represents this right now, here and now. We haven't we, we have experienced through Christ's justification. We're going to experience glorification one day. And in the middle, we stand in grace. And we live in grace. And we live by the power of grace and in the favor and blessing of God. And it kind of summarizes the gospel there for us, beginning, middle, and end. And as, as he does this, what, really what he's looking at here is salvation is not just being justified. Oftentimes we stop there, right? We go, boy, I'm saved, praise God, right? And that's kind of the whole deal. But that's not really true. Salvation is also about sanctification. It's also about the process of becoming like Christ, that God leads us through. That's part of salvation. That's why some places in Scripture don't just talk about being saved, but becoming saved, right? That we are in the process of being saved. Other places in the Scriptures actually say, we will be saved, but it's referencing that final glorification aspect of salvation, that we're secure now, but we haven't experienced the fullness of what Christ is going to bring to us in the end as well. And so he's talking about salvation is not just being justified, but it's also being sanctified as well as the future of being glorified in the final state of eternity. So I've kind of summarized the big idea of what Paul is saying in verses 1 through 5 here like this. I'm just going to read this two times for us here. Since we are justified by faith, we have peace with God and access to his grace. And because we have peace and grace, we can have joy and hope to the end. That's the summation of what he's communicating here. Since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God and access to his grace. And because we have grace and peace, we can have joy and hope until the end. So I really have three points I want to focus on as we quickly unpack these verses. Two powerful gospel truths. Point number one, two powerful gospel truths we have in Christ. Peace and grace. Okay? Number two, because we have peace and grace, we can have joy and hope to the end. And number three, which is found in verse five, really, and verses six to 11 is kind of unpacked. Number three, our hope is not in vain because of who God is. Okay, so that's my three, my three points. Let's, let's get to work on number one. Two powerful gospel truths we have in Christ, peace and grace. You see here in verse one, he says, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Peace with God. Colossians, if you want to write it down or turn there, that's fine. Colossians 1, 21 through 22 says this. And you who were once alienated 
and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. He is now reconciled in his body of the flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. So because of sin, you are alienated from God, which means separated, totally apart from God. You have no connection to God. And who is God? He's a lot of things, but one thing he is, is life. He is the source of life. So when you are separated from the source of life, what happens? You die, right? Now, this is talking in a spiritual sense, but you can think of it in physical. If you're separated from food and water for long enough, you will die. Our souls, our spirits were designed to be connected to the food and water of life, which is God. And if we are disconnected from the spiritual food and spiritual water, which Jesus talks to, right? Remember the woman at the well, right? You need eternal life. You don't just need this physical water. You need eternal water. That's what he's telling her. And elsewhere, he uses food as well. And so as we're separated, alienated, hostile in mind, doing evil deeds apart from God, there is no peace in that life. There's no peace. There's no peace with yourself because of your internal conscience, right? There's no, there's no peace in your heart internally, but there's also no peace with the future. What's going to happen to me when I die? There's no knowing. And so we justify it even with little things like, oh, you just go in the ground, you rot, you're done, right? That was my grandpa until the end. Refusing to submit to the Lord, refusing to submit his life, cut off from his creator. And that's a sad state to be in with no peace. But through Christ, through Christ, we have peace. Outside of Christ, we are enemies, enemies with God, And there's no peace between us and God. But through Christ, and thank God, he loved his enemies. (laughs) That's what we see in verse 6, right? God doesn't just call us to love our enemies. He loved his enemies first. And he set the example and took the initiative to love us while we were his enemies. He died for us. And so the justified person has peace with God which brings joy in God, both enjoying the thought and meditation of eternal life and eternal reality with God forever, as well as enjoying the here and now, as was mentioned earlier, enjoying the process of sanctification and growth, even through trials and tribulations, which Paul will unpack here in a second when we talk about suffering. One commentator says this, the justified person is no longer tormented by the question of his relationship with God. Friends, if you know Jesus, you do not have to be tormented by questions of your relationship with God. Does he love me? Am I right with him? Am I going to stand before him and find out I don't know him? All of those things that cause doubt that aren't assurances can be blown away through simple faith in Jesus. We no longer have to be tormented by those questions of our relationship with God arising from the fact that we are sinners and every single one of us in here are sinners. I am a sinner, but I do not base my relationship with God because I'm a sinner, because Jesus took care of that. Sinner though I am, sinner though he is, the commentator says, he is at peace with God because of what God has done for him. It's not what I do. 
It's not even, even placed, I don't have faith in my faith in God, right? I don't have faith in how genuine my faith is in God. I have faith that Jesus said what he said, and I believe his word, and that he is who he said he is, and that he gave his life for me. And when my faith is weak, Lord, help my unbelief, right? When my faith is strong, thank you, God, for filling me with the Holy Spirit and for encouraging my faith and that I feel strong right now. Help me to remain here and walk by faith. That's what the righteous, the just, as the scripture says, the just or the righteous shall walk by faith. So we believe that we, the, the believer can have assurance that his relationship and standing with God, being right with him, that God loves him. God will not love you anymore then he loves you right now. He fully loves you with the fullness of his love. He cannot love you any more than he loves you right now. It's full. It's just whether you, how deeply you understand that and experience that. You are right with him. And because of Jesus, there's no reason to doubt that. So all around us, peace is interesting, right? All around us, we could look at our country, as I said at the beginning, and go, there's not a lot of peace, right? There's a lot of disunity, dissension, argumentation, it's more hostile than ever, right? You used to be able to have a neighbor and and disagree on some politics, and and it's okay, right? Nowadays, it's not okay, right? You're like an evil person if you disagree on, on many points nowadays, right? And there's not a lot of peace there. And that's the work of the enemy. But that is not how our relationship with God is or how we have to have relationship with one another we can live in perfect tranquility even if all around us there is no peace. The second point here in the second part of verse two is access to his grace. Okay, so this is the second gospel truth that we have, right? This is not things we can obtain in and of ourselves. They're things that are given to us. We already have them in Christ. It's simply living in it by faith. We already have peace with God in Christ. We do not have to obtain it. The same is true as we already have grace through Christ. The access to God himself is something that we can enjoy here and now because of his grace, not because of our work, not because of how good we are at having faith, right? It's just there. It's constant. It's God himself, access to his grace. If you remember in Hebrews chapter 4, Verse 14 through 16, I'll read this. It says, Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast to our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize or understand our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore with confidence draw near to the throne of grace. Isn't that awesome? Draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace in help in our time of need. And this is the same thing Paul is saying here as well, that through him we have obtained access by faith unto his grace in which we stand. Same thing that's being said in Hebrews. Let us draw, let, let us then draw, with confidence draw near to the throne of grace. Grace isn't just separated thing from God out there. It's beaming from God, right? It is God. It is the relationship with God. His, his grace, or we experience God through his loving kindness and through his graciousness that leads us to repentance. And we experience God in his grace. 
Paul, as he's wrapping up this whole section here in chapter 8, he says some, a bunch of amazing things here, but uh, in verse 15, he says, for we did, uh, chapter 8, verse 15, we, we did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but we have respe- received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. Just let that sink in. Fellow heirs with Christ. Provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. And so he's, as he's kind of ending this section in chapter 8, he's kind of unpacking some of these truths more. But we have to grasp that we have access to, gra- to, to God, access to his grace, access to be right with him, access to his throne. Not as like, even though there is the fear of the Lord and there's, there's, a, there's an awe and a respect and if you just go out and kind of trample his grace, there's the fear aspect just like a father, uh, a child wouldn't just totally uh, be foolish with his father and just totally go like take a drill to the hood of the car and you know break the windows in the house like there's a fear aspect right but but with God he's our father and and as a father we approach him in freedom we approach him in love he he loves us he's not there going like oh I'm just gonna squash you because you you did this thing that was wrong or whatever he's 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 yes he's gonna discipline but he's gonna do that as a father would do that not as a tyrant would do that right? And so we have to see our relationship with God as, as Paul is saying here is Abba, Father, right? That we are children with God. They are joint heirs. And any discipline and correction and, and rebuke and those things are for our good, not for our punishment. We have escaped the wrath of God. That's why Hebrews, sa- that's why Hebrews says, hey, no discipline is fun in the moment, but the reason it's there is that it leads to the fruits of righteousness. And that's peace Peaceable fruits of righteousness is the word that's used, right? Because that in righteousness, there's peace. There's no division. When, when a father and a son or a mother and a father uh, or a mother and a uh, daughter or a parent relationship with their children, uh, there's, there's like sin involved and there's something going on, right? There's not peace there. There's tension. And, and you have to break that tension. You have to work through that tension in, in discipline and in correction. But it's in love and for good, not for the punishment and crushing of the spirit uh, that's going to actually drive that relationship apart, right? And the same is true with our God, our Abba Father. So standing by faith in the grace which he has given to us, you cannot be separate, separate God from his grace. God gives himself to us and saves us in his loving kindness and graciousness that we might experience that. And by faith, we rest in that, presently experiencing it in our current standing, as well as in the future when we see him face to face, when we will experience it more fully. So that's my first point, that, that there's these two great gospel truths that Paul is communicating right at the beginning, that you have peace because you've been justified by faith. You have peace with God. You have grace to stand in, to do that confidently. And in that, because of that, because we have this grace or this peace and grace, we can have joy. And that's why he moves into rejoicing. We can have joy and we can have hope to the end. And that's why he says, through him we have also obtained grace in which we stand and we rejoice, which is a joy word. 
We rejoice in hope, and there's hope, of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our suffering. So we'll look at these two aspects of joy. So because we have peace and grace, point number two, because we have peace and grace, we can have joy and hope to the end. Because we have been justified, we can have joy and hope. Joy and rejoicing is, joy is best described or, or, or joy here, although the word joy isn't here, the joy is being described as rejoice, which is kind of a, a great joy that's repeating, <laughs> right? So you have great joy, and you're doing it again and again and again, and you experience it at different levels and in different ways. But there's also another really interesting thing about this word. As I studied this word on the Greek side, it's interesting that it's only this word for rejoice, or tra- that's translated here for rejoice, is only three other times in, in Romans, and it's all right here, even though rejoice is used in the English, other places in Romans. And this particular word means boasting or bragging. Okay, so similar to 2 Corinthians 10, 17, it says, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. For it is not the one who commends himself who is approved, but the one who the Lord commends. So if you're gonna boast, boast in the Lord. And this word here particularly means to brag, to mention or to boast of, to be proud of. So we, are, we boast in and are proud of the person and work of Christ and what he's done and what that means for us. We are extremely grateful for it and, to, and proud to be the recipient of, one of the recipients of, that grace. And so when we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God, we boast in that. We go, man, it is so amazing in grace. I'm, I, I, it is so amazing that I get to receive this grace of God. It is something that I'm proud of. I'm proud to be a son of God or a daughter of God. I'm proud to, to have peace in my relationship with God. And I'm not proud because I've done anything. I'm proud because somehow, some way, I have heard this news and I've believed it. And that God initiated that, not me. It's not because I worked all this stuff out, but it's I get to be a, reci- a recipient of it, and I'm proud of it. It's almost like when, you know, as a, as a child, uh, or, or maybe when you're a teen or when you're in your early 20s, and you kind of get past all the rebellious stuff, and, and you realize, man, my parents are great, right? I mean, not everybody. That doesn't happen for everybody, right? Some parents are not great. But you, you begin to look back, and you see your parents in a different light, and you go, man, I'm proud to be that man or, and that woman's son. They did amazing things. And they weren't perfect. Of course not. They're human. But they, I'm proud to be in this family, in this heritage for what they've done, for what they did for me, for what they did for the Lord, right? And, and I've even seen that happen where you don't have the, the uh, Christian element to that, right? It's in the world their parents weren't Christians, they were lost, they did some terrible things, but they look back and they go, man, I'm proud that my dad served in the military or built this business or whatever, taught me how to work or taught me this skill or my mom did this, she was always there for us, listening, training us, right? Whatever it was, there's this proud element of a parent. And that's sort of what this is talking about, an element of that in there where you feel a proudness in your heritage but it's the heritage of grace and the heritage 
that God gives us as children of him. So we rejoice, we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Now, where it's talking about here, uh, when it's talking about the glory of God, it's really pointing us to the future, the glorification aspect uh, of the gospel, that, that, that there is a glory that's happening uh, in the future that wasn't fully experienced or expressed at the cross. The cross made it available. The cross was the path to it, but it's a future glory. It's a ruling that Jesus is going to come back in power and authority to establish his kingdom in a way that this world has never seen before. And in fact, in the end, he's going to wipe it away and build a whole new heavens and earth, right? There's a glory that is yet to be seen, but will be seen. And that is the glory that he's talking about here, the hope of the glory of God, that that we will be vindicated, that God isn't only going to be seen as a suffering Savior, that Jesus isn't going to only be seen through the lens of suffering and death, but he will be seen as king, ruler, reigner with the rod of iron one day. Now, we believe that to be true now as well. We believe he is ruling and reigning, but that it's going to be known to the whole world, just as Paul says in Philippians, every knee will bow, right? Every tongue will confess. Every person who ever lived, dead or alive, will stand before the king one day and confess his majesty, his glory, his rulership. So we are boast and are proud in the work of Christ, and we point to him, not in ourselves, but in him. And we rejoice in that. We have joy in that. We have pride in that. Now, Paul makes two points about joy and rejoicing here, one that relates to the future, as I've been talking about, but one that relates to the present. So the first one you see in the second part here where he says, rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And that's, that's Revelation 21, really. I'm just going to read a few verses here. Revelation 21 says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven, prepared as a bride and adorned, by, adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear and death will be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things will pass away and he will be seated on the throne said and he or or he who is seated on the throne said behold I am making all things new and he said write this down for these words are trustworthy and true and he said to them it is done. I am the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give the spring of the water of life without payment. No, the one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. That is the future glory that we hope in. And that should drive us. It should give us hope. It should give us passion, and we rejoice in that. But there's a second type of rejoicing that he goes into, which is, he says in verse 3, not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, which is so different than that, isn't it? It's like this epic picture of just the future and the, the joy of no more death and no more pain and, and, and freedom and experiencing the life of God forever. 
and, and joy in one another and the relationships that we'll have in the new world. The perfectness, the no, no sin. That seems so epic and easy to rejoice in, right? <laughs> easy to have joy in. But the second thing is harder to have joy in. But he's saying we don't only rejoice in that kind of hope, but we also rejoice in the present suffering and difficulties. And a similar word is found in 1 Peter, uh, and, and this means to be overjoyed and exalt, and it kind of relates to this as well. 1 Peter 1, 3 through 9 says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy. He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead, to inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. That's that future aspect of salvation. And that also relates to that first kind of hope, hope in the glory of God. But then he makes a transition here as well. He says, in this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. So why, why? So that the tested genuineness of your faith more precious than gold that, peri- that perishes though it is tested by fire may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, yet you love him. Though you do not now see him, yet you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. So what Peter is saying here and what Paul is saying is remember the future. Keep the faith and understand and realize that now you're experiencing suffering, you're experiencing trials, you're experiencing difficulties, and the purpose of that is the tested genuineness of your faith, right? Is that it would be more precious and tried like gold. And that's the same exact thing that he's saying here when he says, knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character. Character means is there's a proven aspect. Character means proven faith, right? It means uh, Christ-likeness that is proven. It's not just fake. It's been tested. It's gone through the trial. You know, die for Christ type stuff. That's the extreme version of it. All the way down to dealing with little sin uh, in the flesh. Like, is, is Jesus worthy enough for me to kill this pet sin of mine, <laughs> Right? The whole spectrum, proving, proven character is this tested genuineness of faith. So it's not only joy in that future, but it's joy in the suffering, knowing that the gospel isn't just about this justification and glorification aspect, but it's also about the process of sanctification in the, in the middle. So we rejoice in God's rescue in his first coming, that he came to rescue through the cross. But we also rejoice in his rule in the glory, in the second coming, and in the middle, we rejoice (laughs) that we get to experience his grace from justification to glorification as we are sanctified and made more and more like Christ. Paul says this in 2 Corinthians 4 as well. He says, but we have this treasure, in verse 7, if you want to go there, uh, chapter 4, verse 7, but we have this treasure in jars of clay, to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always caring about in the body of death, uh, uh, caring about in the body, 
the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh, so that death is at work in us, but life in you. Since we have the same spirit of faith according to what has been written, I believe and so spoke. We also believe and so also speak, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us into his presence. For it, is, for it is for all of your sake, so that grace extends more and more to more and more people. It may be increasing thanksgiving for the glory of God. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. And so you see here again that idea that this light momentary affliction cannot even be compared to the future glory. So it helps us to realize that that future glory, rejoicing in that and remembering that, helps us to walk through the suffering of now, the suffering of today, the affliction of today. And Paul also says this in chapter 8. Uh, verse 18, where he says, just this one verse, for I consider that the suffering of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. And then he says, all of creation awaits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God the children of God, what God is going to do in that glorification. So because we remember that, this is a light, momentary life where suffering is going to take place. Whether it's, again, hear me, whether it's the suffering of putting to death our own flesh and rejecting sin, that is suffering. <laughs> when you want to enter into any kind of sin, whether it's, whether it's some kind of lust or greed or power hungry grabs or pride whatever it is when you deny your flesh that you are suffering for the sake of christ to the other end of the spectrum and everything in between when you have a gun to your head or a noose around your neck or the gauntlet above you deny christ or die and you stand firm all through that is suffering. And as we suffer for Christ, it creates endurance in our faith, a strength to our faith, and it creates this proven character, which in turn, surprisingly, only strengthens our hope. <laughs> it only strengthens our hope in the Lord and our hope in the new world that we eagerly await for and long for this future glory. And so in many cases, when we think of sanctification, we cannot separate that from suffering. Sanctification is suffering. <laughs> it's the only way for sinful human beings to become more like Christ, is to walk through suffering. Sanctification is a suffering process. Again, mostly day to day, putting to death sinful things in our heart, fleshly things in our heart. But sometimes we might be faced with greater trials than that, of course. And we rejoice, we are called to rejoice in that process, confident and joyful in the process, even falling in love with the process. 
that every trial, every difficulty, every pain I walk through, as I do that in faith, God is making me more like Christ. It's almost like when you go to the gym and you work out or when you're in the military and you're going through the training process, uh, it's like if you, the guys who fall in love with the process, they're the ones that are the best, right? It's like if you go to the gym and you go, yeah, I want to look like that in a year, right? And then you fall in love with the process every day to work toward that. And you go, I'm not going to look like that tomorrow, but I'm going to do the process, and I'm going to love this process. Those guys, they fall in love with the gym. They fall in love with the chalk. They fall in love with the weights. They fall in love with the smells, believe it or not. They fall in love with everything, and they want to get there and get it done. And that's the same for anything, any kind of skill, right? Whether you're building something, you know, guys that fall in love with the process of building or restoring a car, right? They just fall in love with the process, And as you fall in love with the process, it's not only the outcome that's joyful, but it's also the process that's joyful as well of being made into the image of Christ. And as we journey in this life, it's not about perfection, but it's about the process that God is bringing us through. But we must trust the process that he's bringing us through, that the Holy Spirit is producing in us and walking us through. It's a progressive thing. So I have a little statement. Progress over perfection, okay? Progress over perfection. I remind myself that often. Progress over perfection. And it's not to diminish perfection. Perfection is the final destination. Perfection is the desire. I want to be perfect. I want to be like Christ. I don't want to have blemishes and sinful things that take place, right? I want perfection, but I know that progress is my calling right now uh, as I live in this life. And we should long for that And keep it in mind, but we must trust the progressive work of God's Spirit as he brings it about. I love how uh, C.S. Lewis says, God's demand for perfection need not discourage you in the least in your present attempts to be good. Or even in your present failures, each time you fall, he will pick you up again. And he knows perfectly well that your own efforts are never going to bring you anywhere near perfection. On the other hand, we must realize that at the outset, the goal which he is beginning to guide us in, is absolute perfection. Even though that's the goal, absolute perfection is where he's taking us. He's leading us in a journey toward that. And we can trust him in that process as we repent of sin, deal with sin, work with others on that, and walk through that by the power of the Holy Spirit. So character then produces more hope. That's why he says here, and, and it does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts. He says, he says, endurance produces character and character produces hope and hope does not put us to shame. How does that work? Character produces hope. Christ-likeness produces more hope. Suffering produces more hope because why? We see the fingerprints of God's love and the fingerprints of God's involvement in our lives as he strengthens our faith. And as he makes us more like Christ, we go, I'm real. Look what God is doing in my life. Sometimes that's internal. Sometimes that's with another brother. Sometimes our wives or friends might go, man, I see God doing this in your life. Or you might go to them, man, I just feel so discouraged. I don't feel like I'm growing at all. And then somebody else goes, you can't see it yourself. But somebody else goes, no, this is what God's doing. I can see that. I can see what he's doing. And that produces even more hope that God is working in me. 
It's strengthening my faith. He molds us through suffering, which actually then increases our faith because we can see his work. We can see him helping us have a mindset about suffering that, trust me, the world doesn't have. (laughs) The world does not rejoice in suffering. The world flees from suffering, gets rid of it as, as quickly as possible. But we can embrace it as God works in our lives. So embrace the process. And we can trust God knowing that, as you know this verse, Romans 8, 28, right? And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. And, though, and, and he goes into another couple of verses there. I'll skip for now. So, so embrace the process, knowing that God is working all things together for good, even the suffering and the difficulty. So remember the future. Keep the faith and embrace that process. Final point here, I'll keep this one quick. Our hope is not in vain. We have this hope in the future. We have this hope in suffering in the moment. And our hope is not in vain, he says. Or here the word he uses is does not put us to shame, which means it's not in vain. Because why? Who God is. Because of who God is. And that's why he focuses on the love of God. You know John, what does he say? God is love. God is love. He is the definite, by definition, that is who he is or uh, a part of his nature and character because God himself, God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit whom he has given us. So we will not be put to shame. Our hope will turn out true and real because God is trustworthy and true. And that's why he goes into verses six through 11 that we read in the beginning. We won't reread them. But that's why he goes into the objective evidence of who God is, which is what? The cross of Christ. That while we were still enemies of God, while we hated God, hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, avoiding him in our, even our conscience and in conversation with those who know him, trying to be free from that, while we were enemies of God, he died for us. And because of the cross, the cross proves God's love for us. Proves objectively that we have a reason to trust in his word that says, I will return in glory. And for those who have faith in me, I will give the richness of my kingdom to. So Paul's ultimate reasoning point that we should maintain hope is the character and nature of God, which is love, which is demonstrated through the cross of Christ. One commentator says this, the result of our justification through faith is peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Hope here and in the rest of the New Testament is a special term. It is not a word suggesting uncertainty, as well I hope I can make it. It is instead a word of confident expectation. Christian hope is a sense of certainty that brings us joy even in present circumstances that are painful. Paul specifies the basis for this joy-producing hope. First, we know that the present suffering is intended by God to produce the inner transformation of our character that God has always intended. That's found in verse 3 and 4 as we looked at. And second, the Holy Spirit has been given us, pours out God's love in our hearts. This is the inner witness, as we saw in chapter 8, right? That, that inner witness 
causes us to cry out, Abba, Father. This is the inner witness of the Spirit that does love us as his own. And third, there is the objective evidence of God's love for us in the cross. Christ died for us when we were still numbered among the ungodly. Surely the one who has died for us Surely the one who died for us when we were sinners and saves us from the wrath of God, now that we have been reconciled to God, will save us through his life. The ever-living Jesus will keep us and bring us through his life to the glory to which we hope. So, our hope is not in vain because of who God is. Objectively experienced through the cross. So in conclusion, remember how I summarized this whole section. I'll just read it for you again. Since we are justified by faith, we have peace with God and access to his grace. And because we have peace and grace, we can have joy in the hope of the future and joy in our present sufferings. And we can have this hope to the end. And with that as our foundation, we can keep the faith and experience that peace and grace he, he brings us. We can remember the amazing future he has prepared for us in our sufferings and our trials. We can keep in mind what Paul says about that eternal weight of glory that now is not, he won't even be able to compare it. It's, it's going to be so amazing. Remember the amazing future that God has prepared to us and live in that hope. And until then, we embrace the process as he sanctifies us and we, as we look forward to that future. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you, Lord, that when our souls get thirsty, hungry for you, for the truth, when we experience the lack of peace and darkness that's going around us in our country and in our culture, we can remember these gospel truths and it will provide nourishment to us. Help us, Lord, to remember that the present sufferings and difficulties are so small compared to the greatness of what you are preparing for us. Thank you, as you told the apostles, that you go to prepare a place for us for them, and, and that that is true of us as well, that you are preparing a place for us to experience a new life with you like we've never known. And I pray that as we remember that, it would, it would fire us up and give us passion to live for you in the moment, to power through the suffering and the pain and the difficulty, whether small or great, that we have. Help us, Lord, to practice for the big tests with the small tests every day. And help us, Lord, to be faithful to the end, every single soul in this room. Lord, if there's anybody here who doesn't know you personally, doesn't have peace in their relationship with you, I pray that they would turn their eyes on Jesus and just simple childlike faith follow you. Help them, Lord, to experience the new life that is found, peace with God that is found through the gospel of Christ. We thank you for your love and for the cross. We look unto you in Jesus' name.
turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful face, and the things of this earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Thank you, Judah. Announcements. Um, we have lunch, of course, as, as ever, and um, everybody's welcome to join us. We have Alma's chili with us again, and uh, anyways, so um, just like to thank you all for coming out. Um, On Friday, the 26th, Alma has a U-Haul that she'll need help uh, loading up if anybody's available. Uh, if we could give her one last blessing as she heads out, um, that would be wonderful. Um, we have the ladies and ladies' mother and daughters are invited to join um, for breakfast with Alma on Wednesday, the 24th at 9.30 at the First Watch in Windsor. Um, there is an address in these flyers for that, just to give her another blessing as she heads out. And um, also the first Friday of next month, we will be having another uh, family night, game night, uh, music. If you have any instruments, whatever, everybody is welcome to come and hang out and have some fun. So with that, let's uh, pray. And Yes, ma'am. Oh, sorry. If there's any other announcements or um, testimonies as well, go ahead. Where's that at? Awesome. Sounds like good. Sounds good. Yeah. Sounds good. Have to go check it out. Is there any testimonies or anything anybody else would like to share? Noah? Okay, then let's pray. Oh, Lord, thank you for this wonderful day you've given us, Lord. I just thank you um, for this the free country that we live in where we can still come and gather in your name and not be afraid of doors breaking down yet, Lord. I just thank you that your mercies are new every morning towards us, Lord. And I just pray that you will help us to be faithful to the end, no matter what the end is, Lord. And I just thank you for everything you've done for us, Lord. Thank you for this food. Please bless it to our bodies. We just pray that everything we do and say would honor and glorify your name. In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs>